of the pedestrian podcast we are into week two of the nfl season after a pretty impressive a pretty uh, efficient win over in indianapolis for the seahawks we move on to the titans to, to talk about that joining myself to court is as ever mr adam nathan how are we sir Shabbat Shalom, Stuart. I'm not sure we were ever recorded on a Friday night. I've been to synagogue. I've had my family dinner. It's terrific. And now, now we're now we're spinning about the Seahawks. We're cheating life here. And this this week to help discuss and help preview the Titans, just to, so we know what we may not know about the 2021 Tennessee Titans, is someone who last season was someone we wanted on to talk about our Seahawks, but made the move from Seattle to Nashville. For, uh, welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, Ben Arthur. How are we, sir? I'm doing great. Stuart, Adam, thank you guys uh, for having me on. Excited to talk about this Seahawks-Titans matchup. Yeah, and as you said, just before we came on, it's like the 75th time you've talked about this game in the last five days. Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, for, for your listeners, I'm, I'm from Seattle. I, I covered the Seahawks from 2018 to 2020. So, you know, I know this... Seahawks team really well and obviously a lot of people on the beat know me very well so I've kind of been the the go-to so to speak for for a lot of people whether it be like Seahawks.com wanting me to answer questions or doing a few few radio hits and and I think this is the last one I'm, I'm doing so you guys are special I, I saved the best for last. Well, I was going to say you've saved the worst for last by, by a long distance, but I'm interested about that because so in the UK, typically people don't, fo- journalists don't follow teams. They follow a league or a sport or whatever. And I'm interested to know what, from a ment- mental standpoint, you know, you invest three years of your life into Seattle. And then it's like, oh, by the way, Ben, now it's time for Nashville and a whole new team. Like, Presumably, if you're from Seattle, if not a huge Seahawks fan, you must have grown up with uh, an affiliation, at least, I imagine, for the Seahawks or a college team or whatever. What's that like, shifting yourself just to, you know, I think it must be a couple of thousand miles away and uh, to, to a new team? Is like, oh, now you've got to follow this team with the same intensity as your last. Yeah, it is a tra- biggest transition going from covering the Seahawks to covering the Titans is – that, that day-to-day, like I know how to cover football. I know how to cover an NFL team, but learning about the Titans' past, like I didn't, being in Seattle, <laughs> as you mentioned, it's so far, it's in a completely different part of the United States. Seattle's in the Pacific Northwest, so the north, yeah, northwest corner of the country going, you know, I'm in, I'm in the deep south of the United States essentially. And so the Titans were not a team I was familiar with at all. And so a lot of my job and, and early on the kind of a challenge for me is understanding context, understanding, okay, this is how the Titans got to where they were. And this is what their defensive coordinator situation has been. This is what, what the coaching issues play calling issues have been in the past and this is how we can make comparisons to it in the present like a lot of that context I had to build and so I'm still working on that I've been covering the Titans for five and a half months now but I was so at such a great place 
with that, with the Seahawks, you know, I was going into my fourth season before I got this job covering the Titans. So now I'm in year one and it's kind of like you're starting over in terms of understanding the franchise. So that's the biggest thing for sure. So you got so, traded before that. You got traded before that to pay out, pay off your end of your rookie contract. That's a exactly. veteran move yeah. from the newspaper. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was what three years. Of, yeah, so this is my contract year, <laughs> and so I, I got traded uh, ahead of my contract year. And I guess who knows? I mean, maybe that big payday is coming for me after this uh, this fourth season if if I do my job well, but. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of been a, a big transition for sure. But but Nashville is great covering the Titans, especially this year. And, and we'll probably get more into this. But this is there's a lot of hype around this Titans team. What happened to them last week was was pretty bad. But overall, the, the expectations remain really high for an offense that's very, very talented among one of the most talented on paper in, in the entire NFL. So as we're moving from Seattle to Nashville, it's kind of different in different ways because obviously we've been, me and Adam have been in Seattle a few times and the whole vibe around Nashville is slightly different because really people over here only see Nashville if they, unless they visit, obviously, but it's through Anthony Bourdain or music and everything like that. Is, is that a vibe that you picked up, up on straight away that goes, the that business is done differently in, in Nashville? 100%. See, Nashville is, it, you can't compare Seattle to Nashville at all. The culture is 100% different. First of all, I, I'd say, I mean, Nashville is one of the, in terms of the NFL landscape, it's one of the smallest market, the smallest markets in, in the NFL, just in yes. terms of eyeballs. Like I know a lot of people in Seattle sometimes get frustrated with not always getting national respect with what the Seahawks have been doing, but that, that frustration is tenfold with the Titans being in, in, in a, in a town, people still kind of call it a town. It's a growing city, but, but yeah, a lot of people here feel like they're, you know, under the, the radar, just in, in general, this is a music town. As you kind of mentioned, country music is a, a very big deal here. And the Titans are still somewhat new to, to Nashville. It, when you kind of take a look back, like, the, the Titans moved to to Nashville. I mean, they used to be known as the Houston Oilers, so they, they moved from Houston in the late 90s. And so they, they haven't the, the Titans haven't even been in Nashville for uh, 25 years yet. And so it, it's still a relatively young franchise like for this city, I think the identity, so to speak, may even be like the, with, with the 12s, there's such a unique fandom and, and there's a very clear identity for what the, the fan base is all about. One thing I've noticed here is that the, the fan base isn't as defined. It doesn't mean that there aren't phenomenal fans here. There are, but it, the, the, in Nashville, you know, with, with the Titans, that, that fan base doesn't seem as defined so and uh so yeah i i think that as kind of going back to my earlier point that there are a lot of differences and and i think even too like i think tennessee in itself is more of a football college football mm. state because you have uh university of tennessee the the tennessee volunteers over in, in east tennessee uh 
you know, schools like that. I, I think maybe college football maybe gets more eyeballs here overall. So th- there are a lot of differences between Seattle and, and the Nashville markets uh, culturally. And I, I think just in how they take in NFL football as well. Yeah, and also, also another difference more in line with the NFL and the league is obviously you follow Pete, let's say you on the beat with Pete Carroll. What, have you picked, there seems to be quite a marked difference in how uh, Coach Rabel goes around about his business. How, like obviously the positivity and the music playing at VMAC for the last three years. How, how is that different down in Nashville with how Rabel runs the show down there? Yeah, I would say both Pete. Well, the one similarity they do have is that they're both player coaches. Mm-hmm. I think Pete and, and you guys know, I mean, Pete, Pete is known as a, a, a player's coach. It, it seems like that, you know, guys really love to to show out for him, to, to play well for him. You see the energy from him in, in practices and, and he just turned 70 years old and he still has all this energy and guys I think are really inspired by that. And in the same way, I think Vrabel is, is a player coach. He goes about it differently, but Vrabel played in the NFL for, for, for a long time. I mean, he's won Super Bowls like with, with the Patriots and, and Tom Brady. And so he, he knows he can relate to his players as well as if not better than most coaches in the NFL just because he's been through it and he had a lot of success. It's not like he was some fringe guy, like he was a starter and, and, and he, he won. So I think a lot of guys have respect for him in that regard. I think Rabel is a more, he's definitely a very colorful guy at, at practices just in terms of the curse words he'll use when he's frustrated (laughs) with guys like just kind of cussing them out to, to, to kind of get more from them. I think he knows the, the right buttons to push and when. I think that is one thing that has definitely stood out. One thing that's kind of been a frustration, though, is like I think Pete is way more open about injuries and, and stuff like that and kind of giving us background on certain guys. Variable is a lot more tight-lipped and he doesn't like to reveal things and I think that comes from playing under Belichick and see Bill Belichick in New England and seeing how Bill Belichick ran things you know Belichick doesn't he's not great (laughs) with with the media and I think we've all sort of seen clips on social media of kind of a short response he may have to a very legitimate question by a reporter I think Rabel does have some of those mannerisms not to say he's not a a good person or a great guy outside of that setting but I think when it comes to his football team and protecting what they're trying to do and not trying to give too much to the public or to opposing teams I think he can be very tight-lipped in in that regard so yeah, Pete and Pete and Mike Mike Rabel are, are similar in that they're player coaches, but they definitely go about it in different ways. And and obviously there's a huge age difference as well. Mike Rabel, he's what in his early forties. Pete just turned seventy, so there's a huge kind of gap between kind of how they're looked at yeah. for sure. When you talk about the Titans sort of not being, you know, maybe the fan base isn't necessarily have to have that hook. And in the last decade, there's been, you know, C2K and 
Marcus Mariota and Jake Locker. Like there's always been a player that or a person there that's been like, okay, this is the guy that's going to elevate the franchise to a national level where everyone's taking notice. And for me, Mike Vrabel is a guy that's actually done that for me. And him being there has made the Titans someone that I look out for. And I, I check what their results were because I don't know. He seems like an interesting guy. He seems like someone that you could, you could root for, but is there a feeling in the city that with Vrabel, there's a hook for sort of the community and the, the town to, to get behind someone as like our guy that we're going to build this franchise around and, and elevate themselves to a level of a, you know, a Kansas or, you know, it, not that that's that local, but you know, the AFC South is, is kind of always the, if it, it feels to me like the, the forgotten division and the Titans are probably the forgotten team in the forgotten division, I feel. So does there feel like there's a bit of a, a progression towards them, an elevation to, to a level of recognition? Yeah, 100%. And I, I think part, part of the problem too was with the Titans in the past. I mean, they've had some really bad years and some really bad teams. They've, they they went to the Super Bowl under Jeff Fisher in 99 and and they've had some good years here and there but they've they've been pretty bad especially right before like I like to call this Titans era the Mike Vrabel John Robinson era John Robinson is the GM he came here 2 years before Vrabel so John Robinson they call him J Rob here in Nashville he's been here since 2016 Mike Rabel was hired in 2018. And so together they've kind of created sort of this new culture, a, a winning culture as people has kind of re have referred to it as it, but, but, but before John Robinson got here in those in, in 2014 and 2015, they had a combined five wins. And since John Robinson got here, they've had five straight winning seasons and they're one of only three franchises in the NFL to have had five straight winning seasons. I believe the other two are the Seahawks and the chiefs. So what J John Robinson and Mike Vrabel have done has they they've definitely changed the, the culture around here. They they've built a winner. The, the, the Titans are a playoff contender every year, just like any team that they, they kind of have their, their flops with, with picks or, or free agents, but, but for the most part, they've, they've been, they, they've been competitive and, and they've kind of been that team in the AFC South for, for, for a couple of years now. I mean, the Colts are, are kind of right there too, but I think with what John Robinson and Mike Frabel have done, they've totally flipped the culture around. And, and I actually, the other day, last week, I, I spoke with former NFL coach, Jeff Fisher, who was, who's the winningest coach in, in the, in Titans in their history. And he, he, he was kind of raving about just what John Robinson and Mike Vrabel have done to sort of change the expectations here. And and I think being in Nashville, Nashville generally, you're you're always gonna have, you're you're never always gonna get that kind of national respect that that some of those teams in either bigger markets or or those or the more successful franchises like a, a Packers or or a Steelers, the, the the Titans have never sort of been in in that category. They've kind of been in their their own 
thing just because they're not only are they in a small market, but they've kind of been bad. I think John Robinson and Mike Vrabel with the success they've started to mount is, is flipping that script a bit. And I think with this roster that they have, it's kind of one of the first times, if not the first time in franchise history where they're really expected to be at or near the top of, of, of their conference. I mean, people have said this is the most talented offense, particularly kind of at the skill positions that they've had in the franchise's history. And that's in Tennessee or Houston, like in the franchise's history with Derek Henry and AJ Brown and Julio Jones and the way Ryan Tannehill has progressed the last few years. And so, yeah, there's definitely a sense that things are, are shifting here. And, and I think the clearest sign of that is now people aren't content. People in Nashville aren't content with just making the playoffs anymore. At first they were, I mean, that was the mark of success, but now, and I, and I think it was seen with kind of that loss that they had last week. I mean, people were furious because they have such high expectation. People are saying, Super Bowl or bust, you know, for this type. And I, I don't know how many other times in, in franchise history you can say <laughs> that the Titans have had a moment like that. So the, the culture has definitely changed here since Mike Frable and, and John Robinson have landed in Nashville. I mean, that list of offensive players is terrifying. It's not as terrifying as it was nine days ago, Adam, but it's still terrifying because... I mean, nine days ago, we didn't know who was going to start a cornerback for the Seahawks. And nine days later, it's Julio Jones, AJ Brown, and Derek Henry running downhill. Um, so with all that, though, in 2021, Ben, um, obviously we were watching the Seahawks Colts on Sunday while the Titans were playing the Cardinals. And I had a text from one of my friends, the guy's been on the pod, Ben, going, Kyler's on a mad one. And then I saw the box score. What happened on Sunday? The I mean, Kyler Murray and obviously Chandler Jones got, like, for, for once, got his 4-5 stat game against not the Seahawks, which is a, a rarity in his career. But what, what exactly went happened or went wrong on Sunday? Yeah, it's that's a long answer, Stuart. <laughs> uh, th- there were a lot of things that went wrong, but I think, I think maybe you have to start with the offense. I think... The defense, there's hope that the defense will be better at some point. You have to understand, like last year, the Titans were historically bad on third down. They were giving up. (laughs) Opposing teams converted nearly 52% of their third downs. The Titans as a team only had 19 sacks for the entire season, which tied for the worst for, for... tied for the worst mark for a playoff team in NFL history. So that's how bad that that's how bad they were defensively. And that's how much the Titans offense dragged that team to the playoffs. So with what happened defensively, they, they kind of overhauled that side of the ball. They have tons of new starters. Their outside linebackers coach who was sort of kind of calling plays. He's now the official defensive coordinator there's a sense that there is still a lot that needs to happen on that side of the ball for, for them to be great. And so in that regard, I don't think seeing what, what Kyler Murray and, and that Cardinals offense was able to do the, to the Titans defensively was 
a, a big shock. I mean, 38 points is never good, no matter what is going on with your defense. But there's a sense that this defense is probably going to be better later in the season than earlier. Where people are really freaking out is, is with the offense, because as I said, this is supposed to be like probably the most talented offense in franchise history. They were number four in scoring offense last year, number two in total offense last year. And you add Julio Jones to that, a Hall of Fame receiver. And you have all these weapons, Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and a veteran offensive line and all this. And, and you only get 13 points in the season opener. So, yeah, people were, were freaking out. And th there are so many things wrong with the offense. I think, first of all, you have to look at the lack of practice time that they had. It was, it was just constantly throughout the summer, it was guys in and out. Julio Jones missed three. So he's coming in with a new quarterback after, ten de after a decade with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. He comes to Tennessee and needs to build that chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. And he misses three straight weeks in training camp. Three straight weeks. And then when he comes back two days later, Tannehill goes on the COVID list and misses <laughs> nine or 10 days. So they only had three, really three full practices before the opener. And this is a new star receiver and the, and the franchise quarterback. They only have really three, four full days of practice. So that was one thing. And that, that was just kind of the, the sign of, you know, the entire offense. The offensive line, they had two starters on the COVID list with Tannehill. And, and these two O-line starters, they missed nine days as well. A.J. Brown was in and out of practices all summer. He was dealing with a knee issue. Their top blocking tight end, he was on the reserve COVID list for nine days, too. They just had so many guys in and out. And then Taylor Lewan, who just had an awful game against Chandler Jones, two of the five sacks Chandler Jones had were because of how bad Lewan was playing. Lewan, you know, pro bowler, pro bowl left tackle, He's coming off an ACL injury. He, he tore his ACL last October. That game last week was his first real game in 11 months. And so he just wasn't right. And he wasn't really full go in the preseason until like the last week of the preseason. So as you can see, Stuart, <laughs> it was a lot of different issues there. And then because of those issues, the lack of practice time, I, I think it started with the offensive line because the Titans just couldn't get in their offense. The, the, the O-line group, they, they didn't have time together. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't pass block. They, couldn't, they didn't give Tannehill enough time to push the ball down the field. They didn't have time to set up their play action, which is like the bread and butter of that offense. Derek Henry, who's the heart of the offense, right? They, they couldn't really get him going because the O-line couldn't really block up front, and they, they weren't giving him great rush lanes. So – so, yeah, it was the lack of practice time offensively. And, and then I think that kind of trickles down to the offensive line because everything starts up front, right? And if, if your O-line can't win their one-on-ones up front, you really can't do anything as an offense. So I think that the offense was the most concerning thing for me. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's a very long answer, but that's, that's <laughs> what happened with the offense. Yeah. yeah. So a, a, few, a few podcasts that I listened to have been talking about, okay, Week one, we'll give a mulligan to a team. And like, you know, 
And I'm sure there's people saying like maybe Green Bay, you know, what the hell happened there? Mulligan. Is the Titans a Mulligan situation or did you start see stuff that you're thinking, hmm, maybe that's going to be an issue going forward? That's a great question. I, I think this offense is too talented to play as bad as they did. They have issues to work out. And, and I think really it's going to just come down to practice time. As simple as that sounds, I think that's a really big part of it. I think when, when this O-line really is able to build that chemistry and Taylor Lewan gets a few games under him after missing a, a year, really, of football, hmm. I, I think when those guys are able to get more time up front, I think we'll start to see the Titans offense start to pick up a bit. I think they're too great on paper to, to look that bad on a regular basis. But I do have a little bit of concern about their, their offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, first year offensive coordinator for them. He was their tight ends coach the last couple of years, but Arthur Smith, who's a brilliant offensive mind, he was their offensive coordinator the last two years. He got the Falcons head coach job. So he's gone. And then the Titans bring in, they, they promote in-house and, and they, they downing is the new play caller on the offensive side of the ball. And so I, I do after this showing, and, and as I said, lack of practice time, I think was a big problem and, and downing didn't really have time just like his star weapons didn't really play together. He didn't have a lot of time to work with them in practices, but I, I think there, there, there is a little bit of concern there that he wasn't able to adjust. And I think a lot of Seahawks fans can <laughs> with sort of the, the shoddy, the, the Brian Schottenheimer days, like the frustrations of not being able to adjust. I think, we saw like a sliver of that with Downing and, and that Titans offense in that week one opener. And, and, and the concern too, is that Downing has only been an offensive coordinator one other time in the NFL. And that was with the 2017 Raiders and their offense was a disaster. He came in, sort of like how he's coming with the Titans. The Raiders have sort of, they've been bad, right? But in, in 2016, their offense was elite. And then Downing comes in and their offense just falls apart. He's fired. Jack Del Rio is fired. That entire coaching staff is fired. Mm -hmm. And so I think with a lot of people in Nashville, they're afraid that, okay, once again, Todd Downing has inherited a really talented offense and he's just going to fumble it again. So I think that's a big concern here. Again, I think it's really easy to overreact after one game. Maybe this doesn't happen again, and, and there, there, there are a lot of factors at play. It's not just the offensive coordinator. It's not just the play calling. But I think that is a fear for people. And, and, and the fact that he wasn't ever able to adjust, like why you didn't go more play with more tempo or – establish more of a quick passing game when your guys weren't able to block. I think those are all concerns people had and things people are going to be watching for moving toward Seattle. And then as the rest of the season moves on.
Yeah, so, so you said, you, like you said, you've been in Nashville five, six months covering the team. So you obviously you fly across, you move across country, you got a new gig, and then the team that you now cover trade for Julio Jones, who a year ago, 18 months ago, is seen pretty universally as the best receiver in the league. That must be kind of like, oh, cool, I've gone from Russell Wilson and everything going on in Seattle to AJ Brown, Julio Jones, arguably the best one-two wide receiver. I mean, as as from your point of view, is in your job role, what was that? That must that must be something you're kind of like as excited about for obviously different reasons that the fan base is excited about, isn't it? Yeah, and and again to to my point about like how much hype there was in Nashville, I don't think there's ever been more hype about a season in franchise history, and because of the addition of Julio Jones. Like there was a, a buzz, a crazy buzz here after that move. Everyone's like, we're all in on the Super Bowl. What we're we have the, the most talented trio in the NFL. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna ride these guys. It's it, it's it's gonna be a fun ride. And and you don't you can't blame them, right? Just two years ago, a lot of people forget, but the Titans were in the AFC title game. They were one win away from the Super Bowl. And that year, no one expected them to do what they did. And then that offense now is better on paper than it was then. So, and you add Julio Jones, arguably the best receiver of his generation, to what they already have. It, it got, you know, it got berserk here. I, I can't even, and, and from a reporter's perspective, just how much Julio content I had to produce because of that was just ridiculous. For like three weeks straight, two or three weeks straight, I feel like I wrote like a Julio story every day or every other day. I mean, that's how much people were eating up that stuff. And then from talking to other, the other reporters on the beat, the guys who've been here much longer than me or the ones who were who've born and raised in Nashville, like none of them can think of a time where there has been more hype about a season than this season. And that's largely because of Julio Jones coming into a, what's already, what already was a very talented roster. Yeah. So one of my favorite football stories, I've said it on the podcast a few times, and I was sat in Giants Stadium or MetLife Stadium with Stuart. And uh, Jimmy Graham was, we were about 10 rows away and Jimmy Graham split out wide against like a 5'10 cornerback. And I just said to Stu, like, just fucking throw it to him. Like there's nothing they can do. And they did. And he caught it and it was a touchdown. It was in the red zone. It was, it, it was, you know, it was the easiest play you've ever seen in your life. And ever since Trey Brown was drafted for the Seahawks and Julio Jones moved to the Titans, I've been thinking about this Sunday and I've been thinking about DJ Reed and potentially Trey Brown, who may not play anyway against AJ Brown and Julio Jones. And I'm thinking how in the world <laughs> is this Seahawks secondary going to stop anything the Titans do? And obviously it's super reductive, but there has to be some optimism on the Titans side that what would the personnel groupings that the Seahawks have assembled in, the, in that secondary cornerbacks, particularly this must be like a potentially a get right week for that offense. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're thinking that way. And yeah, the, I mean, the corner, cornerback is what is probably the biggest concern that what's been the biggest concern on, on the mm -hmm. Seahawks roster. You have two really two number one receivers. Like, how, how is that secondary going to deal with them? I mean, obviously, if, if you're Seattle, 
you have a great guy in the back end in in uh, Quandre Diggs, but Jamal Adams has, has as great of a player as he is. I mean, he's shown some deficiencies in in coverage, and so I think there, there's certainly optimism there. But I really think it starts up front, right? Because if these guys, if that pass pro is is anything like it was in against Arizona, like those advantages on the outside aren't going to matter. Like if they can't get, if Tannehill doesn't have enough time to throw them the ball, it's really moot point because so, so it really, it's really going to, that's the key to the game for me, right. For the seat, for, for, for the Titans winning that battle up front. The, the, those guys need to play better and, and not just for Derrick Henry, but, but for, 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 for the pass, for the pass pro for Ryan Tannehill. And, and if, if this Seahawks defensive line is, I mean, I, I, it, to me, it looks like the, the deepest, especially on the edge, it, it's probably the deepest group they have since the Legion of Boom defenses. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that, the, that showing against Indy um, was, they look dominant and, and Darrell Taylor is finally playing and he looked great. And so if the Titans can't win that battle up front, th- those advantages they have with Julio and AJ on the outside against those corners, against that secondary, isn't going to be as much of a factor. And, and that's kind of exactly what happened in the the opener is – I think well. I think Julio and AJ had their moments that they could have played maybe a, a little better, but they didn't always get opportunities because Tannehill didn't have time to get the ball to them. Like Julio didn't have his first target until the middle of the second quarter. Same with AJ. AJ just a couple minutes before that. So, so yeah, th- this this battle is going to start up front for for the Titans w- without a doubt. Yeah, uh, well, let's hope that the uh, Titans are traded for Julian Davenport because, oof, he had a rough day on Sunday against the Seahawks Steelers. So maybe, maybe the individual in uh, trade or defensively for the Titans, uh, Harold Landry is their like premier pass rusher. Is that fair? At at this point, I would say that's fair. It it, it in the long term, it should be Bud Dupree. Mm-hmm. He they they signed him to like a, a five year eighty two point five million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. I mean he's he's been an elite pass rusher and and, and he was with the Steelers uh, to to start his career. The Titans signed him as a free agent this off season. But the thing is, Dupree is coming off a torn ACL, similar to Lawan, and so he's not a hundred percent right now. He didn't look a hundred percent against Arizona. He was basically a non-factor in the pass rush. And so ultimately Dupree should be your number one guy on the edge. But as of right now, it's, it's definitely Harold Landry. He's been the Titans leader in sacks the last two years. Uh, He only had like five, uh, four or five last year, but that, I mean, that, that led the Titans uh, for whatever that's worth. I mean, like I said earlier, they only had 19 sacks as a team last year. So he, he's been kind of the top pass rush guy for them the last couple years. 
But I, I would say the Titans do have some threats on the in, interior defensive line in terms of generating pressure. I think that starts with Jeffrey Simmons. I don't know how much people in Seattle know about him, but I think Jeffrey Simmons is a future superstar. I think he, he's going to be an all pro at pro bowler in this league. He's a 2019 first round pick. He, he kind of fell to like middle of the first round because he tore his ACL before the draft and, and the Titans sort of took that gamble on him. No, uh, you know, hoping that he would be something and they they gambled correctly. He's, he's going to be a force for years to come. And, and, and he's, I think in the ESPN sort of every year they do that. What Jeremy Fowler does the rankings of the top uh, guys at each position based on uh, survey, a, a survey of per, uh, personnel, people, evaluators, front office players across the league. Jeffrey Simmons was, he was ranked. I want to say he was between three and six. Mm. Yes, yeah, some somewhere around there. Uh, he was like he was in the top ten of of, of defensive linemen entering twenty twenty one. So he's he's a guy. He had a sack. He sat. He's one of the few guys to actually get a hand on Kyler Murray last week. He had a sack. So I think he's someone to watch. And then Danico Autry, who actually used to play for the Colts, but he's with the Titans now. He's been one of the better interior pass rushers at the defensive tackle spot in the NFL over the last few years. I think he's been number six. He's number six or seven for sacks among defensive tackles over the last few years or so. And so those two together as a pair, I think can be very disruptive. And so I think they're going to help out Landry and then help out Dupree as he slowly gets back to 100%. Yeah, and then there's in the secondary is the guy that Deion Sanders didn't know existed a couple of years ago, uh, Kevin Bayard as well, isn't that? Who's just all all over the field whenever you watch Titans. Yeah, games. exactly. Yeah, Bayard is is one. He, he's one of the leaders of that defense. He led the league in interceptions a, a couple of years ago. He's been in all. He was an all first team All Pro his uh, second season in the NFL. He's yeah, he's the one. He, He's one one of the guys that the Titans really lean on defensively. They, as I said earlier, the Titans basically redid their entire defense, and he's the only returning starter in the secondary, the, the only one. And so he's he's been a guy they've leaned really heavily on, and 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 he had one of the few promising plays the uh, the Titans had defensively against Arizona. He picked off Kyler Murray to start the third quarter, so. He's definitely someone to watch in the back end. If if you're Russell Wilson, he's he he can he can fly around a bit. Yeah, I, I can't go through a Tennessee Titans podcast you know without talking about the King, uh, King Henry. Uh, one of the few players that I diagnosed out of college better than Stu did because Stuart did not think Derek no, Henry no, was no, going to no, be. No, 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 Stuart, you can tell me one. Was, no, okay, no, Stuart, Stuart, what, what, no. What, no. My issue, with Henry, my, my issue with Derry Henry Cloud College was the how high he was being talked about going, but even that is probably stupid. But it's not like I was thought he's gonna be out of the league in three years. I just wouldn't have took him as high as people wanted the Seahawks to take him. But then we took the Sharp Penny, so maybe <laughs> hmm. 
Whereas yeah, that's, what, yeah that hasn't turned out very well. No, whereas when, <laughs> I, when, I, when, I, looked, when I looked at Derek Henry, as I say, I do things the reductive way at all times. And I saw the biggest human being of all time running faster than anyone and harder than anyone. And I didn't see him ever being stopped. And it's kind of proven that way in the NFL. The question is for him now, that tread on the tire, you know, he, he has been running from a, you know, a, the handoff perspective at an almost historic level in the, in the last few years. Is there any concern, you know, maybe not in the building, because why would they, but in, in Titans, Titans verse that, you know, maybe he, he's just run too many times because we've seen it all the time with these guys, you know, DeMarco Murray, I'm thinking, you know, even Lev Bell, you know, just the amount, the volume of carries eventually seems to catch up with these guys. And is there any worry in, in the, in, you know, in Tennessee that that could be an issue with, uh, with the King? Oh yeah. That's man. That's absolutely a concern, right? I mean, he's coming off a 2000 yard season. You look at the seven, the seven other guys who entered a season after a 2000 yard year, None of them sniffed, got anywhere close to that 2K number. None of them even sniffed 1,500 yards. So th- there is there is concern, uh, absolutely. Derek has led the league in, in, in carries, rushing touchdowns, and rushing yards for the last two years. He, his, he, he is the heart and soul of this Titans team. You know, for for a lot of teams, the franchise quarterback is the face of the team. Derrick Henry, as the running back, is the face of the Titans, and so he's yeah, he's the guy here. There's there's concern, absolutely. And and do we know can Derrick Henry be the one exception to uh, falling off um, the year after two thousand? Sure, I mean he's. I actually did a little project earlier, uh, well, not earlier this season, just a couple weeks ago on uh, just how Derrick Henry stacks up against the other 2,000-yard backs. And and there are some noticeable differences, one being Derrick Henry is the biggest running back to ever rush for 2,000 yards. So you think – that he would be able to maybe weather the storm better, take hits for to take more hits than some of those other guys. And you look at the way Derrick Henry plays, it certainly seems like he does more of the punishing than he gets punished, right? Like mm. sometimes it seems like guys are just dudes are just bouncing off of him with, with that stiff arm. And so I think it's I, I don't know. To, to answer your question, Adam, I mean, I, I no one really knows if he's going to be able to stay at that 2000 caliber level. Do I still think he's going to be great? Yes. Do I think he's going to have a drastic decline this year? Definitely not. I have seen no indication in practices or even in that game. I mean, he didn't have a chance because of their O-line play but I didn't see any indication that he's not capable of carrying a big load this year um, and still staying productive. So I think, I think he should be fine this year. And and especially if the Titans are going to have to really figure things out offensively to start the season, they're going to need to depend on him. That's for sure. And I think one really big stat to watch as the Titans head into 
Seattle is that in the last 16 regular season road games, Derrick Henry has rushed for 2,003 yards, <laughs> 20 touchdowns for an average of 125 yards per game. And in 11 of those Decent. 16 road games, he's had more than 100 yards. And in three of those and, and in three of those, he's had more than 200 yards. <laughs> so if anything, Derrick Henry's greatness shows most when he's under duress, when he's playing on the road in hostile environments. And so that has to be key number one for the Seahawks, figuring out how the heck are they going to stop Derrick Henry because he's coming. And it's going to be really fascinating to see how – how schematically they, they try, try to stop him because they're with the struggles the Titans had offensively in that opener, they're going to look to establish Henry earlier, um, early in this game. And so will they be able to do that? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's just terrifying, isn't it? I don't I mean, do you I mean, we've kind of, we kind of circled the Titans game, as you said earlier, that for the minute the schedule came out and especially when they traded for Julio, did you feel any more, or less confident than you did a week ago or at the start, like an hour ago when we started this chat? I was feeling pretty good until Ben gave me those stats about Derek Henry. And now I've just <laughs> drastically changed my pick in my head. I was, I was buzzing for the game until I heard that about the King. Um, look, it's, it's going to be one of those games that, you know, 0-2 is a, it seems like one of those things that is a really, a thing that teams really want to avoid. So whilst I don't think that Seattle will be lacking any motivation going into this game, I think there'll be something extra in the Titans that in a game that I've got like a three point game, it wouldn't stun me if the Titans end up coming out on top, just because that carrot in inverted commas of going, Oh, and two can bear so strongly that that might get them over the line. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually have it being just a three point game as well Adam I in in the predictions I've done I've I think the Seahawks will win but I do think that offense is going to come alive a little bit I, I have the score as being Seahawks 31 Titans 28 I think this has a p- potential to be one of those really phenomenal games I mean the Seahawks are going to be playing in front of their home crowd for the first time since December of 2019 and that home crowd is gives I mean it's one of the best home field advantages if not the best home field advantage in the NFL and and I think a really big stat is that the Seahawks have won 12 straight home openers so (laughs) it's not so so they don't lose at home to start a season and so and but but then to, to counteract that right the Titans have been so good when they've had awful losses under Mike Rabel they're eight and two after double digit losses. So I think both of these two stats are kind of coming out ahead, right? The Seahawks never lose at home in their opener in, in their home opener. And, and the Titans are, are as great as they come when it comes to bouncing back. So I think this is going to be a close game. I, I don't, I don't see the Titans winning, but I, I do think this is going to be a close one. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a good one. I, I think I said last week, these AFC South games always always kind of prime back to 2012 in Indianapolis where it's Locke against Wilson and then uh, 2013. And obviously the few years ago with Deshaun and Russell Wilson just went hammer on tongue for three and a half hours at then CenturyLink Field. But yeah, I think I'm going to like like a moth seeing a light in a doctor's office. I think I'm going to go flying towards... Um, 
and Seahawks win. So, yeah, I, I, I legitimately have looked forward to this game more than the Colts game. I know it's weird for week one, week two, but I, I can't wait for, as the song goes, waiting all day for Sunday night, kind of, well, like Sunday, <laughs> well, Sunday night over here, Sunday afternoon in Seattle. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but yeah, I, I think the Seahawks will win 30 23. That's Colts, but yeah. I, I got 28 25 Seattle. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, Derek Henry against Brian Monet and Puna Ford is, and then obviously, as you say, winning over all our five for eight cornerbacks is, yeah, kind of terrifying. <laughs> terrifying, but never mind. Um, uh, so, spin in the bin, Adam? Yeah, let's do it. Right, so Ben, we have a thing here, it's called Get in the Bin. Um, it's, it's very uh, English, British, where, like parlance, I guess, like, uh, what's the word? I don't think a word. Trash can. Yeah, trash can basically. So it's someone, a thing, an aspect of the prior week or the prior few months of people like Skip Bayless are in there. Hugh Jackson was the birth of it a couple of years ago. Uh, Colin Cowher's in there because of the whole host of reason, Jerry Jones and people like that. Um, Adam, do you want to kick us off? I do, yeah. So it's just someone that's kind of got our goat up in the last week that we, uh, you know, we're not happy with. And amazingly, I'm linking <clears throat> a Tennessee Titans player and a University of Washington head coach, because this culture of self-owning that Taylor Luan and Jimmy Lake have undertaken in the last week has <laughs> actually pissed me off quite a lot. Like Taylor Luan coming out saying, hey guys, you know, I realized that I was absolutely terrible. I don't think he realizes fans do not want to hear that. Like that is the last thing I want to hear you say. And then Jimmy Lake, the head coach at University of Washington, <laughs> you can't keep saying that it starts with you while we lose every week. Like, if you keep saying that, we will want you to be fired because you are literally putting a target on your chest saying, it's my fault. So this idea of like, pretend, like trying to man up and, and, you know, come out and be the bigger man and say, hey, guys, don't worry, it's my fault. I don't think they realise that, uh, you know, that actually has more of a negative impact on how we view them than positive. So Taylor Lewan and Jimmy Lake can get in the bin uh, for me for that uh, yeah. that weird act of bravado and like trying to save face. But for me, it makes things an awful lot worse when I'm smarting over a loss, I have to say. Yeah, uh, I'd miss the Taylor Lewan uh, ownership of whatever happened on Sunday, to be honest. But yeah, yeah but I think he, he he tweeted, didn't he, Ben? Or did he come? Did he do an he did. interview? He he did. He tweeted, and then and and then he spoke with us for 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 a while uh, yesterday. He's done this before, though, right? I'm sure he's done this before. Yeah. So, from from what I've heard, and, and again, this kind of goes back to me learning context with with the Titans, not really having a full grasp of that yet, but. From what I've heard, it, it, it Lawan seems to have like one really bad game every year. <laughs> uh, you know, according to people that wa have watched this team closely over the last several years, and and obviously this th what happened last week was especially bad, and it was probably the worst game of his career at any level. I mean, it was so bad. <laughs> but uh, but from what I've heard, he does. It, it seems like he's kind of due for one every year. And, you know, if, you know, if you're, you're the times you just hope that doesn't happen again, like it, it doesn't, it can't really get any worse, but, uh, but yeah, he, he <clears throat> sent out a tweet. A lot of people out here thought that was kind of corny. Um, <laughs> like, you know, it, you know, from my perspective, yeah, like you just don't, 
you have to understand that's just kind of who Taylor Lewan is. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's very has a lot of pride. He's a very colorful guy. He's probably the best quote on in that Titans locker room. And I think the fact that the, the Titans didn't make him available after the game. And so I think that was his way of just kind of saying what happened for what it is. Uh, I mean, I was kind of in the camp of, you know, that wasn't really necessary. Everyone knows that you got embarrassed. But um, but I guess for him, it, it was just important for him to, to kind of say that and, and to kind of keep it pushing. But but yeah, I mean, if, if you're if you're a fan, like you don't you don't need to hear that. Just just play better. You know, like, you you don't need to state the obvious and like, you don't need to tag the guy who who was killing you all game. Just kind of don't say anything and just show up next Sunday. So I think uh, everyone's favorite tweeter, Charles Forverts, was uh, intimating at the end that, you know, bit bit of a kind of kind of a lucky it's a white guy tweeting that. Because I'm not necessarily sure that maybe Jermaine Effendi would have got the same. Oh yeah, what a class reaction on that in Seattle afterwards. Oh man, yeah. As, yeah, so that, my... it would it would have gone over very differently, <clears throat> and, and and the difference too. I mean, and Lawan is actually. I mean, he's been great too. Mm-hmm. Like he's been he's a three time Pro Bowler. Like Effendi was just had so many awful games that like it, it would have just been even worse if he if he said something like 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 how many times would he have to say that right like, he might have yeah. got a notification like you've already tweeted this are you sure you want to tweet it again so my Ben, i want to put the universe in the bin because first they take michael k williams and then they take norm mcdonald in consecutive weeks which sucks for a whole host of reasons but um i kind of want to put the just the new york giants in the bin because how, how <laughs> did they lose that game against the Washington, currently still the football team? Because, like, Joe Judge is uh, just annoying. Every, that's it just like, yeah. I'd, I'd rather, it's if, if like, I don't often watch ad breaks, sometimes I just change the channel, do something else. That's what I want to do every time they put Joe Judge on the screen, because he's just, he's, He's he's what Vrabel he thinks he's Vrabel when he's probably more Patricia if that makes sense from that Belichick location <laughs> tree. He's just he's 100%. such a that is brilliant, Stu. He's he's that, such that a, he's great, such yeah. a there was I, I didn't watch much of the game live and I just watched the highlights. There was a bit where there was a rush on the passing of Daniel Jones, which again was a bit borderline from Chase Young, and it cut to him and he's doing like the signal the referee does. I'm just thinking Pete Carroll doesn't do that. He just kind of like. Yeah, it's I, I, the Giants are just ugh. they've got so they've spent so much money on that team, and they just find incredible ways to lose. I mean, I got a rundown from a mate who's Ben, who's a Giants fan, this morning, like in full before I watched the highlights. And it's just, it's just incredible. How did they lose that game last night? Unbelievable. Well, look, Russell Wilson will be their quarterback next year, so they'll be fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. According according to Colin the Cowherd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's uh, Ben. Do you have you got anyone you want to throw in the trash can or anything? Any aspect of? Um. Yeah. I. I mean, I think it's kind of already been said. I mean, I think Lewan would have to go in the trash can for me. <laughs> I mean. The, the, the tweet was unnecessary. Um, he, yeah, he was just played so beyond bad. I mean, 
you, you have to give him a little bit of leeway just because like he was playing his first game in like forever. Um, and, and he was going up against the, one of the best edge rushers in the game who also happened to be pissed off coming into the season because of his contract situation. So you have to kind of give that context, but at the end of the day, that's still not an excuse for as bad as he played, you know, like, mm-hmm as a professional left tackle to look that bad, like it was just, it was kind of mind boggling. Like even when, when Lawan was speaking to us <laughs> and he's an incredible quote, like I was saying, but he was saying like, he felt like one of those uh, like 165 pound white kids playing offensive tackle against a five-star recruit <laughs> on uh, in that first game. And, and that was, I think that was a perfect summation of, of what he looked like. He, he looked like he didn't belong on the field. So his play on top of, and, and what I thought was an unnecessary tweet and, and somewhat corny, I, I I have to dunk him in the in, in the in the bin for that. So <laughs> love it, love it. That's good. Um, I I have a, a question that something that I imagine must go in a lot of people's trash cans, disappointingly, because it should be delicious. But you've moved to Nashville. Fried chicken is a, a real staple thing, kind of in the south. You know, it has historical connotations and whatever. Talk to me about Nashville hot chicken, though, because it just seems to be whenever I see videos of people eating it they've taken one of the most pleasurable things in the world and made it hugely unpleasant to eat. Yeah. It's yeah. Chick, yeah. Fried chicken, uh, obviously a big deal here. Hot chicken is phenomenal. I think some of the challenges you'll see online is of people doing dares. Okay. You know, like the, there's a, there's a place called, for, for example, there, there's a really popular, spot called Hattie B's. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've read about that place. Yeah. And with their hot chicken, they have like a scale of kind of the hotness or whatever. Like you kind of have like, I don't even remember all of the names off the top of my head, but you have like regular, you have like kind of hot, you have really hot. And then you have something called like what the cluck, <laughs> like that's the top of the scale. And so like a lot of those challenges you'll see online is of people going to what the cluck and seeing like daring their friends to kind of eat that. And that that's kind of what makes it okay. so crazy. Like, like to a lot of people that what the cluck level is seen as basically un, unedible. It's like just something people do for dares or, or for clicks online or, <laughs> or for whatever, like people don't, no one that I know of or have heard of actually enjoys that hotness level. So I think that's, that's kind of like what you'll see when you see people kind of, you know, going all crazy about like hot chicken online is when people do like those little challenges where, you know, their friend offered them a hundred or $200 to, to eat the, you know, the hottest hot chicken. And that's kind of wh- wh- where that comes from. So, and and I'm, I am not that stupid. I am never going to go to that, to that high level. Um, I, my, my tolerance for spice is pretty high in general. I'm at, my, my family's actually from, from West Africa in, in Ghana. So I just grew up around spicy food so I can handle a lot, but just the stories of what I've heard, like that top most 
hot chicken level, like it's it's not worth it. And you know, <laughs> I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to like lose feeling on my tongue. Like no. I don't I'm not it's not worth it to me. So we said, you know, obviously the Titans are playing the Seahawks, but I work in food and much more importantly, if you're gonna if if we're gonna turn the Seattle food scene versus the Nashville food scene into a, a game of, of NFL football. What's the score? Oh God. What's the score? Yo, that's, that might be the toughest question I've ever. No one asked you wow, that this week the, on the radio. Adam, that's the most unique question I think I've ever gotten. I, look, no, no one's wow. asked you these questions on the real shows you do. You yeah. come to a no, stupid see, show like us and you get that. <laughs> yeah. That, that's wow. That's phenomenal, man. Um, Wow! 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 I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull, up, I'm gonna cop out at that one and say it's gonna end in a tie game. Not even a field goal either way. Nah. Um. I don't know. I could rave about both. I mean, Seattle. Seattle has like the best. I think maybe Asian foods, like Thai. Japanese Chinese foods that that I've I've had like in the country mm -hmm. and then on top of the phenomenal seafood which is probably number one in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and probably one of the best probably some of the best seafood in the world you get in Seattle but then in Nashville you have the hot chicken you have some of the best just s southern comfort food that you can get you have grits you have collard uh, collard greens um just yeah just a lot of a lot of calories but like just just southern goodness uh fried foods ribs barbecue fried chicken um, what's, what's the barbecue thing down there is it pork yeah so barbecue yeah the, the main thing is pork but people have barbecue chicken mm -hmm. as well and the thing is with barbecue barbecue was actually founded in Tennessee, mm -hmm. um, not in Nashville, but in Memphis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like literally, I, I believe it was like the slaves, the African slaves that were brought to the country invented barbecue, barbecue in Memphis. Hmm. So the best barbecue I think in, in probably in the world is in Memphis, but in Tennessee in general, there is really great barbecue here. So Barbecue here is A1. The hot chicken, as you know, is A1. Uh, grits is a big deal here. So that's phenomenal as well. Um, it's, it's man, it, it's hard for me, Adam, to, to answer which one. <laughs> I'm just going to pull, yeah, I'm going to cop out of that one and say this game ends in a tie. And uh, dare we even ask the same question about the music scene across the two cities? Because I think I might go for, for the road team on this one with the, uh, Nashville, like that kind of music for me, uh, just has the edge over rock and roll of Seattle you got, for me. You got, you got Nirvana, you got Soundgarden, you got Samixola. Does nothing for me. Yeah, I think with, with Seattle, you have some of those classic bands that, you know, rock and roll bands or, or whatever that just everyone in the world knows of. But I think mm -hmm. Nashville's music scene is probably more distinct like Seattle isn't known for music. Nashville is. Mm -hmm. And Nashville is known specifically for country music. Like it's the, it's the country music capital. And, uh, you know, every, like the, there are so many people that just move to Nashville to start their music careers. 
Um, you know, it's kind of like the whole Hollywood or New York deal with people going to those cities to want to get into acting. It's the same thing with Nashville and breaking into the country music scene. And yeah. people don't move to Seattle to break into the music scene. People go to Nashville mm -hmm. to break into, you know, a certain genre yeah. of music. And so for that reason, I'd put Nashville above Seattle. Love it. Uh, so as Adam said, when you joined the call, that um, one of our guys, uh, one of our favorites, Mike Dugar, has you in very high regard. But he, uh, he does. But what 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 was your thoughts when you sat on the Zoom call last year and he was challenging Bobby Wagner to a basketball game? What were my thoughts? I mean, I, I was backing him up. I was, <laughs> I was I was probably at the forefront of the smack talking because. <laughs> Yeah, because Bobby Bobby likes to talk, you know, <laughs> with that snack talk. Like, he keeps going on and on, especially about his basketball skills. Uh, and so, you know, I've I've had multi – and I've, like, texted him about it or, like we, – we've talked – actually talked about, like, playing one-on-one -on -one to, like, settle it once and for all. But whether it was COVID or football season or whatever, it just never really happened. But <laughs> – but yeah, man, we'll, we'll go back and forth. There have been times because I, I was basketball is actually probably my favorite sport. It's what I grew up on. I wanted to play in the NBA when I was growing up. Uh, heavy, heavy basketball guy. And, you know, I played up until I was like 18. I have tons of videos and stuff. And I'd actually like send Bobby some of my videos. Of, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do to you on the court when we play. And so it went that far. It literally went that far. That's and amazing. Like, yeah, so we we've had a lot of smack talk back and forth. Um, it was funny one time. I I think I had actually tagged him on Instagram, like a, a video of me playing basketball, and I was like, I added him. I was like, at Bobby Wagner doesn't want this work. <laughs> the next day, I walk into the locker room. Bobby yells at me across the. <laughs> across the room as the reporters file into the locker room and he's like and he just starts coming at me like <laughs> you, you don't want any of this and like there was actually one day in the locker room where I wasted the entire availability just to <laughs> argue with Bobby about <laughs> my basketball skills and we actually had like a group of like some of the players and like some of the reporters were actually just like listening to us and like laughing at how comical this was that a reporter thinks he can take on a all pro NFL player in, in a game of basketball. But, but yeah, man, it's so when it comes with Mike and, and the basketball thing, and, and I know he's been kind of riding hard, the idea of uh, media against Seahawks basketball game. I, I'm so bummed that never happened when I was there. And uh, you know, if it does happen, I, I told Mike, Hey man, just fly me out. I could be your sixth man, you know, I'm not Seahawks media anymore, but if you need a, you know, someone to come off the bench, give you some energy, you know, I'm that guy. So, so yeah, I, when it, when it comes to Bobby and, and basketball, he, he just, he, he just kind of keeps going and going and you kind of have to meet him at his, with the smack talk. Yeah, I mean, that team, that team's lost you and Joe Fan this off season, isn't it? So. Yeah, man, some, 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 yeah, some heavy hitters uh, <laughs> were lost. I mean, Joe can really shoot the lights out of the ball. Like he can really, really shoot. Um, I mean, I'm not going to gas myself up too much, but, but I think I'm, I'm decent, you know, I, I can handle the ball. 
I'm a great defender. I can shoot. Uh, mid-range game is solid. So, you know, I, so, so, so yes, yeah, so the Seahawks media corps did lose the both of us. So yeah, <laughs> if they did play the Seahawks in some kind of fan friendly basketball event, they, they'd need some help. And, and like I said to Mike, like, <laughs> Hey man, I am there. If you guys need me, doesn't matter if I'm doing something <laughs> Titans related, I will hop on the next flight so I can make that game and show out. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so- a, a bit of research I did was uh, I was told to ask you about sending podium pictures to Tim Booth. There might have been a funny story related to that. Podium to Tim Booth. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I'm not sh- quite sure what. Or oh, your podium pictures got sent to Tim Booth? Um, well, th- there could be a couple things he could be referring to. There was one time where. Mike lost a bet to Ed Dixon, who used to be a Seahawks tight end. Uh It was um, for like an Oregon, Oregon versus Washington state college football game because Ed Dixon went to Oregon. Mike went to Washington state and they did some kind of bet. Oregon won. And so Mike had to show up for the next day in a duck suit. (laughs) <laughs> for media availability and so i i got it i took a picture of him and i sent that to tim booth and uh he made a big deal out of that but i think the other thing that he they may be referring to was probably the the race uh mike and i raced one time after titans practice like on the vmac fields like we were just kind of talking smack and so we ran a 40-yard dash and uh mike won and I kind of pulled something, you know, a, a little bit. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't finish too great. And, and yeah, Mike, Mike won pretty substantially. But like, like I said, I kind of pulled something. I wasn't feeling a hundred percent that day. I was limited in practice, as the Seahawks would say. So, you know, I, I think that was probably the other thing because Tim, Tim, and I think Joe Fan were two of the people recording that. So. Um, I, I think those may be one of those two instances is what they're referring to with the two, the podium thing. I mean, substantially is never the word you want to follow the word beat, is it really? Yeah, it, it, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, but, but again, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Luan situation, right? Like he's coming off an injury. I was coming off an injury. I was limited the entire week heading into that race. So you know, I'm, I'm healthy now. And Mike knows he, do, he Mike doesn't want the smoke right now because I, I'd probably beat him. Uh, you know, I've, I've been training and, and I'm healthy. My hamstring is good now. So if Mike wants a re uh, uh, another race, uh, I'll, I'll take him down. Um, but yeah, that, that day wasn't a good day for me, but, but yeah, I mean, I'll bounce back. I was hurt. So you know, I can, I can, I, I'm not a guy to make excuses, but that race was, that race was totally on my bad hamstring. So yeah. And also Mike's probably bad. Mike's probably too busy taking having photo shoots with suit jackets and no shirt on underneath anyway to to pay <laughs> any attention to to repeat races. Uh, if, if, I don't know what your plans are for Sunday before the game, but last time I was over two years ago, Mike uh, uh, come by at the tailgate. Me and Adam do with Bill and Cindy. So I'm sure if you have the time for some. What is it, Adam? Reindeer sausage, crab meat, and some chili uh, on Sunday before the game. Then oh, I'll, plenty I'll, of tailgates I'll, there. I can shoot you the details of the guys and our guys over there, and they'll hook you up as well when you when you're back in Seattle, back in the VMAC parking lots and everything. 
definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot me those details. I don't know yet if I'd be able to come. Uh, I think my parents, because my parents are obviously excited. I'm coming back to Seattle. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're, they're going to try and hog me until the game <laughs> time. But, but yeah, if I can make it, I'd love, yeah, I'd, love to, I'd love to show up for that. Yeah, so I uh, yeah, massively appreciate you taking the time on a Friday uh, evening, afternoon, whatever time it is over there. Um, taking the time, as you say, it's like the 75th interview you've done this week for this game. So, I mean, you've got, you got four years until the next one. If, and obviously, by then, you'll be like ESPN, and The Athletic, and all sorts. You'll be the, the, the king of Nashville alongside uh, uh, Derek Henry, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, yeah, that, that's the goal. I mean, hopefully... I'll, I'll elevate to that standard, you know, as, as players say, so it's such a cliche, but it's really, it really is a day at a time. Right. Like, you know, And that's the lamest response to what you said, but you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where, where kind of my career goes from here. Like, I don't know how long I'll be in, in with, with the Titans, who knows, you know, I'll probably, maybe I'll get traded again, you know, and, and I'll, I'll have my breakout year somewhere else, but, but really appreciate you guys having me on. Like this has been a pleasure, and this probably been this definitely been the most fun interview I've done, other than Mike's pod. Oh, I, oh, I was gonna nail it. So close. Nail it. I mean, I mean, I mean, like you can't see me and Adam's on his own, so that must be weird because him and Chris do their pods all together, that they one screen, which is yeah, that's always so they're always weird. They're to cuddling. Watch. I think they're cuddling when they're doing <laughs> they're, 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 they're cuddling before and after the recording, so. <laughs> You know, so, so, so yeah. So, uh, where, where can people follow you on the socials for this and then your your takes, your POV on the Titans, and obviously more promptly this Sunday? Yeah. So, where I'm most at is is on Twitter, and that's uh, just at uh, Benny Arthur. So that's just my name, Ben Y, and then a Y, and then Arthur, my last name, A R T H U R, all just one word. So Ben Arthur Y in between. So that's where people can find me the most and I'll be active obviously on, on game day. And then it's the same handle on Instagram. Uh, although that's probably more of a mix of work and personal, but Twitter is definitely the main thing for me where I post all my stories and yeah. whatnot. So that, that, that would be where people can, can keep the best tabs on me. Awesome. Well, uh, have a safe journey home to Seattle. If you haven't already made the trip, enjoy your weekend back back with your parents and tell Mike that me and Adam said hi and as I said massively massively appreciate you jumping on with us to uh, complete and it's a uh, fools and idiots uh, as well um, yeah if, you, if people want to get involved with the podcast they can patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast uh, Podbean Spotify iTunes until next time enjoy the game whatever uh, corner of the world you're watching it in or from uh, but yeah this has been the pedestrian podcast go Hawks.